You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. You are listening to Senior RX Radio, ASCP's audio podcast in collaboration with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Veronica Charles, ASCP's Government Affairs Manager and host of today's show. I'm joined by best-selling author Rosemary Gibson. Rosemary is the author of China Rx, Exposing the Risks of America's Dependence on China for Medicine, and she will be discussing her book and other research with us at the second general session keynote speaker at ASCP's 50th annual meeting on November 9, 2019 in Grapevine, Texas. Welcome, Rosemary. Oh, hello, Veronica. It's great to be with you. We're so happy to have you. I wanted to get things off, first things first, uh, a little bit of a background. So how did you get here, and how did you first learn of this? I was looking to write another book. I've written previous books on errors in medicine and uh, overtreatment in medicine. So I was looking to write a new book, and... I wanted to write something that was of importance to all of us, to our health and well-being. And I stumbled on this topic. I didn't intend to write a book on this subject because I had no no clue about uh, what came to be in China Rx. So I kept digging and digging and found a story here that had never been told before about how dramatically dependent we are as a country on a single country, China, for so many of the medicines that we take, especially the ingredients to make them. And that has a host of implications for our health, the quality of our medicines, and our national health security. It's an incredible untold story, and it's been an honor to tell it. But it took three years to research. It was very hard work, very painstaking, but it's certainly worth it. I can't even imagine. I know that I've read the book and several of our pharmacist members have read it and we are just blown away at the amount of detail that went into it. So that's remarkable. One of the things that our members are, you know, also knowledgeable on the topic of is that consumers are focused on avoiding medications manufactured in India as well. Can you touch on that China-India connection when it comes to the active pharmaceutical ingredients in some of our medicines? Yes, one of the most surprising findings while working on China RX is that even India is dependent on China for 80% of the active ingredients and the chemical uh, intermediates and raw materials to make them. And that really shows how narrow the supply chain is. And it's indicative of why we have so many shortages because it's so narrow. So that was a, a real big wake-up call um, uh, for me when really trying to understand this now global market and what it means for us and the care that patients get and the work that pharmacists do every day. Right. And then so what are some of the day-to-day implications of some of these shortages and other of the findings? How does it impact us in the short term and on a larger scale? Well, as pharmacists, those who are listening, I'm sure you see the impact uh, every day 
and the amount of time it takes for pharmacists to manage them. There was a recent study that came out that said it costs hospitals, just in terms of pharmacist time, nearly $400 million a year to manage shortages. And that means pharmacists are busy doing that, and they can't do the other things that you know that you were all trained to do, and that's a big loss of productivity. It's a complete waste in our system, frankly. So how can we turn that around and uh, use that time and energy for something good? And I think the implications are not just at the front lines. You know, when there are shortages, different medicines have to be used, and they may not be the optimal ones. There was a wonderful study done by a group of pharmacists about a shortage of Piptazo and substitution for an, with another antibiotic, and C. diff rates went up in a, in a study of 88 hospitals. So these shortages have dramatic implications. They're a matter of life and death in many cases. So that's why we really need a close look at our supply chain, where it's coming, and really have a root cause analysis of shortages to understand what's really happening. And I think China RX really shines a light on that root cause. And then why don't we know about this? This is a huge problem. So how are we going to be able to make the public aware of this? But of course, we also want to make sure that we mitigate anxiety. We don't want people to stop taking their medications. We don't want people to uh, go even further with this type of problem. But we do want to make sure that the public is aware of these inherent dangers that are coming with their with our new medicine supply. So well, I, how do we do that? Well, I think the public, millions of Americans have had recall blood pressure medicine, and that certainly has been a wake-up call. Uh, just last week, there was a hearing on Capitol Hill, and one of the commissioners, he's a retired military, and he described getting uh, four different blood pressure medicines because different ones were recalled, and one of them had what he called rocket fuel in it. So word is getting out, and the aim here is not to frighten but to enlighten and to empower people uh, to make a difference. And the good news is, especially when we look at this from a you know, health security angle, that has gotten a lot of people's attention. And I'm, it's really heartening to see uh, good people realizing the situation now that we've gotten ourselves in, now that it's public and now more of it's getting out there. We still have a long way to go. And that's why I'm so glad that we're doing this podcast today, Veronica. Absolutely. And last week, so you mentioned it briefly, you testified before the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. I I believe that was last Tuesday. Um, Yeah, last last Wednesday. Yes. Last Wednesday. Great. And, you know, that was a great testimony. I think that a lot of stuff really came into... um, came into discussion, but in the book, you discuss the difficulties of bringing the realities of these adulterated active pharmaceutical ingredients forward in the U.S. Um, We have difficulties with that due to press alignments and agreements uh, regarding what should and should not be aired as quote-unquote news, yet this is an issue that is very bipartisan, and it potentially affects every single one of us. So with such a bipartisan issue and things that Congress evidently and the China Economic and Security Commission are looking into, what can we do to make sure that this is discussed in the legislative branch and the executive branch and everywhere else? Well, um, I think uh, the good news is there's been some uh, good media reports on this subject. 
not as uh, far-reaching as I would hope, because you're right, this, this is an every-person issue, and uh, it affects all of us and the people we care about. And I think just uh, keeping at it and looking for and identifying solutions, I'm in, impressed with how hospitals are trying to use their procurement dollars differently to buy from trustworthy sources a reliable supply of quality medicines. That's a big deal. This is the group Civica RX. Uh, it's the Mayo Clinic and 900 other hospitals there. You know, all these products are in perpetual shortage. They're saying, okay, we're going to buy differently. We're going to find trustworthy manufacturers, pay them a fair price, not a race to the bottom price, and uh, not have shortages anymore of the, of the products we contract with. And the first medicine that they're contracting for is injectable vancomycin, and it's going to be made in Bedford, Ohio. So that's progress, and I'm, I, we have to work on making more progress. I'd like to see public procurement for the Department of Defense and VA. You know, they spend millions and millions of dollars a year on generic drugs. And what I'm talking about here mostly is generic drugs, which are 90% of the prescriptions dispensed. Imagine if we could use our procurement dollars differently to buy right, to pay manufacturers a fair price so we don't have these shortages. Because why do we have these shortages? It's because we're down to just a handful or sometimes a sole supplier. And that's because we've you know, paid the people that make them so little and they scramble like mad to beat each other out on price and the good guys get out of business and we're left with, you know, hammer down on anything too hard. If you hammer down on price too hard, something will break. And it's broken. Our quality is broken. And um, we have these shortages. So let's buy differently. Let's use our procurement dollars differently. Right. And then, so in the book, again, you also discuss how you, you did just touch on it, that this really started with the purchasing of generic drugs in China. So is this a problem specifically with generic drugs? Or do we see this problem uh, everywhere else in brand name and generic markets? Uh, that's a, a great question. The, uh, I spent the focus on generic drugs because they are the medicines that you know, Americans used most of the time. I'm, I haven't studied the brand name drugs, drugs under patent, as closely. It is true that some of them do obtain active ingredient material from China, but what that means in terms of quality, what it means in terms of Shortages of that material, I'm not fully aware of, but that's a great question. And I hope this work really inspires others to begin to ask those questions and go looking for them, looking for answers. Because all of our medicines, we want to have high quality and to be, you know, not have any interruptions in their availability. And I know that on the similar front, Catherine Eban has a book out, The Bottle of Lies, that discusses really some of the dangers of generic markets over in China and India specifically. Um, you know, so it's interesting being able to expand on that with all of these different resources that you and other types of investigative journalists have really gone out of their way to look into. So we're learning a ton and we're happy to bring it to our members' attention and, and to everybody else out there. We think it's an important topic. Um, 
one of the things that have been discussed uh, by and large in all literature on this topic, but specifically in China RX, is the brain drain. So where pharmaceutical chemists are losing their jobs to less qualified, cheaper workers in China and other parts of the world. So what is the background of a pharmaceutical chemist in China versus a pharmaceutical chemist here in the United States? And how can we make it to where people want to keep their expertise here in the United States? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, we have to find a way to maintain the talent here, certainly on the manufacturing side as well as the R&D side. We can't be a country that outsources everything except the marketing and you know, regulatory work and lobbying Congress. Absolutely. Um, and then we, yeah, we need to have it here. And what I'm hoping, uh, Veronica, is that there's really fantastic technology that's been developed on the manufacturing side. It would be the first innovation in how we make medicines in generations. Uh, we have more innovation in the making of potato chips than we've had innovation in the making of our medicines. And this technology is, they, uh, APIs for certain medicines can be made in a, in a lab in you know, maybe a thousand doses within 24 hours. And the question is how can we take this incredible technology to scale when it comes to production? And if we can do this, it's gonna take investment. And the generic companies are not gonna invest in it because their margins may be you know, very slim, at least the people, the companies actually sure. doing manufacturing. So how can we use this technology bring it to market, and that would bring jobs, keep jobs here, bring jobs back, and it would you know, reward people for making things. You know, part of innovation comes from making things. When we don't make things anymore, then we lose out on innovation. So you make a great point, and I'm hopeful, and that's why one of the recommendations I gave last week to the commission to give to Congress is that we invest in advanced manufacturing technology that would you know, dramatically transform the landscape, improve our economic prosperity, our health security, and you know the overall security of our country, including our military. And then, that's those are great points. And in your research, did you find out what some of these chemists overseas? Uh, what their qualifications were to be able to be these chemists in these major pharmaceutical uh, factories? Well, my understanding is that uh, countries like China have a lot of very well-trained chemists. I think what's equally important is the culture of organizations and ensuring there's um, the right protocols and standards in place. Let's take manufacturing. Um, we all know the importance of having a good corporate culture, one that emphasizes quality and integrity and professionalism. And when I look at some of the FDA warning letters pointing out, like in the case of recall Valsartan, which, and I'll do a root cause analysis of that recall at the conference in November, you know, the FDA warning letter came out and said very clearly that the company knowingly sent to unsuspecting U.S. patients and hospitals 
Valsartan product that was didn't meet standard. It was out of specification. They never stopped to go back and find out what was wrong and fix the root cause. And some of their Valsartan products had more than 200 times the acceptable limit for the NDMA carcinogen per wow. pill. Per pill. Wow. And that's, that kind of leads us into a big question, too. How do we better educate prescribers and pharmacists so that they listen to patients when they say, hey, this, this doesn't feel right. My medication isn't working. Should pharmacists and prescribers consider that the medication isn't what it's supposed to be? Or Absolutely. I think that's a terrific action step for all pharmacists and all clinicians. When patients say something, or I've had doctors tell me that they've observed patients when they're given a prescription, these are, in some cases, hospitalized patients. They're not on the trajectory of getting better as the physician would expect. Regrettably, we're in a time when we have to ask the question, is it the medicine? It's, it's always been about patient compliance or affordability. But regrettably now, we have to ask the question, is it the medicine? And what I would do is, you know, many hospitals now have adverse event reporting systems. And it, it doesn't have to be a known adverse event, but in those systems, you report things that just don't seem right. And then they, we can track them. We can track it by product, uh, by manufacturer, by lot number. So let's start collecting that data. And even better, I've been uh, following what I think could be a game changer. It's a new online pharmacy up in, um, on the Yale Science Campus. They're an online pharmacy, and the first one and only one, they test everything before they sell it. And they test three different batches of each product. And they have found even significant variation among batches by the same manufacturer in terms of active pharmaceutical ingredients. Wow. And more than 10% of the things they've tested don't meet standard, whether it's for the active ingredient, dissolution, and inactive ingredients. Now, I'll show a couple of slides that they shared with me of real medicines that they tested and the results. It's, it's really quite striking. Um, I, I wish we could get more of that information out to consumers um, but this is a start, and I think we have to begin asking the question, why isn't everybody who's selling a medicine, why aren't they testing this stuff? And, you know, that's one of the most terrifying and frightening things for me is I'm fortunate enough to be a, a healthy person. I'm not on any prescription medications, but you know, we've covered that this problem is rooted even deeper than just in our prescription medications. Uh, for example, you found that China controls the lion's share of the active ingredients in the raw materials used to produce vitamin C. Uh, you know, there's only one Western manufacturer of ascorbic acid. And when I read that, I was thinking, well, you know, I could shop at Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or something else like that. But, you know, you, def you found out that even Trader Joe's and some of those natural stores were still sourcing that, in that same product for vitamin C. So is there anything we know to be 100% American-made? Um, I, I think the best thing uh, consumers can do, and I wish we could crowdsource the information, 
is if uh, patient, uh, people could start calling up and asking. So where does where is this finished product made, and where is the active ingredient made? And imagine if we got that information and we crowdsourced it. That would begin to um, help educate all of us, and would also put companies on notice that the public really cares about this, that we care about the products we put in our bodies. Uh, and uh, we need to see uh, changes in, in how they're being made and assurance that they are what they're supposed to be. Trust is everything when it comes to medicine, when it comes to vitamins. And I think there's a real reasonable concern for the public to, to be concerned. I agree. And, you know, also in one of the chapters where it discusses how uh, toothpaste ended up having toxins in it. And I thought you just had such a salient question, which is if you were to be sick, you're not going to think of your toothpaste. I'm not going to think, wow, it must be that toothpaste I used this morning. And uh, that's something that, you know, really, I think hits the point home that everybody is susceptible to this. And this needs to be something that we're thinking about in our public health discussions. That's a great point. And it raises the larger issue of, you know, how did the heparin contamination with a lethal contaminant, which occurred in 2007 and 8, how was that discovered? It was only discovered by two, uh, by, by nurses who were taking care of children who were on dialysis, and both of them happened at the same time to have the same adverse reactions to what turned out to be heparin. If we'd just been one patient, one child, then perhaps people might not have paid it attention. And it shows how insidious it is to have a medicine that isn't what it should be. How do you prove it? It's very, very, it's very, very difficult to show cause and effect. And that's why our vigilance at the production site and knowing what we're getting and testing them in real time uh, really has to be done to, in, to ensure public confidence in the medicines they take. So I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. That's, uh, I can't even imagine that. I think insidious is the perfect word for that. Um, but something that's in the, in the headlines right now is that on Tuesday of this last week, on July 30th, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar announced that President Trump is working on a plan to import drugs from Canada so that, quote, American people get the benefit of deals that pharmaceutical companies themselves are striking with other companies. Uh, we all want to see drug prices go down, but based on your research, should our pharmacist members be concerned about this proposal? Are Canadians dr are Canadian drugs safe? Well, I would uh, break it into two categories. I think the a very strong financial burden is on patients for the brand name drugs because there is no alternative. And brand name companies typically they have more resources and they take more care in the production of their products and testing them because their name is on the box and they're accountable in a way that it's hard to hold companies in other countries accountable. And from a cost perspective, you know, it, it, it really raises a question. So if you can get X, you know, drug under patent from Canada at a third of the cost or two thirds, the cost of, what Americans pay here, 
you have to ask the question, why, why are Americans paying so much for the same product? And it's just, you know, 100 miles across the border if you live in Vermont or um, up in northern Michigan. What, why is this? It just doesn't seem right. Why should Americans be paying more than everybody else? Now, when it comes, but what's going to happen there? I was just reading this morning is that the um, the industry there is saying, well, there'll be shortages of drugs in Canada if Americans go up there and try to buy them there, and that's in part because the industry will probably cut off supply to Canada in Canadian pharmacies. And then those Canadian drugs too, are those Canadian drugs or does Canada still have the same issues with Chinese and Indian made uh, APIs coming into their manufacturing pipeline? Uh, Great question. Canada is in the same situation as the U.S. and Europe. In fact, there was a, a documentary done by Dutch Public Television earlier this year that reported the Netherlands' dependence on China for medicine. And it had pharmacists in the video. It had industry people, government people, very transparent. And frankly, I, I don't, I'm not sure we would see that here in this country, unfortunately. And they were highlighting the risks on the quality side and also national security. An industry person, a retired individual, said, well, now we're concerned that China could cut off supply. So this is very real, and it's a global issue. It's not just a U.S. issue. But to answer your question, Canada probably gets its generics that it sells in its pharmacies from the same places that the U.S. does. And then at the end of your book, you know, we take all of these huge problems and you try to come up with a 10-step plan to bringing it home. So it discusses how we need to consider medicines a strategic asset. And this is a quote straight from the book and not a commodity to be bought at the lowest price. Are we at a point in time where we have to choose between safe medicines and affordable medicines? Well, uh, one of the surprising findings since China RX is that the European counterpart to the FDA, called the European Medicines Agency, they regulate medicines made uh, in, for European countries. They actually came out and said, they put it in writing that they sometimes face the regulator's dilemma, which means they have to allow um, substandard products on to be sold to prevent a shortage. And I have a document showing exactly that for a Piptazo plant in China that European inspectors said does not meet GMP, does not meet good manufacturing practices, but they still allow product in Europe to prevent shortage. Wow. That's where we are now. And I believe that the FDA is having to make the same trade-offs. Look, it had interim acceptable limits for the carcinogens in Valsartan. And had to put in interim acceptable limits, knowing there shouldn't, there's no acceptable limit. But it couldn't take everything off the market because there'd be nothing left. And then you face the risk of heart attacks and strokes. So this is... This is uh, why we need to act, and one of the recommendations is, and I think this is gaining traction, is we need, a, we need to know who's making our medicines. In fact, that was a, one of the real surprising findings, that it's no one's job in this country to know who's, who makes our medicines and who's controlling the supply. 
and where are their risks. And that I've been beating the drum on that, and I think that's it's gaining traction and a realization that we absolutely need to do this. But that will take um, resources. FDA has a lot of data, but it's a lot of it's proprietary, so some of this will have to be under you know classified work. But uh, I think that's a first step to know where we are vulnerable. Where is there just one su sole supplier of a really important ingredient for an essential medicine? You know, it, it, we can't make penicillin anymore. We can't make doxycycline anymore. Um, our generic antibiotics, we have virtually no manufacturing capacity here left in this country. It's shocking. And you don't have to tell our pharmacists and, and individuals listening here what that means and, and what a dangerous proposition that is. Absolutely so, right. And I'm looking forward to that dialogue in November um, to not just to talk, but to hear and learn you know, what does it really mean and get that message out. Um, so, so we have a lot of work to do, but at least it's, it's getting out there now. And um, there's a wonderful awakening happening. We have a lot of a long road ahead, but at least we've started on the journey. I agree. I agree. And, and I want to finish us off here today with kind of a question that if an administration official or a federal lawmaker is listening to this podcast right now, what is the one thing that you would tell them to do to help mitigate American reliance on China for our medicine? Uh, the first is I would do that what's called a whole of government review with the VA and HHS, FDA, DOD, Homeland Security, to know where we are vulnerable. And that will raise the knowledge base of a whole lot of people who should know this. And then I'll take the liberty of taking the next step and saying where we are vulnerable. We need to use our procurement dollars for the Department of Defense and VA. That's public money. It's our taxpayer money that shouldn't be going to help build China's industry as our, is, ours is collapsing. Use that money to invest in manufacturing here in the U.S. so we can make our own medicines and take advantage of wonderful technology that exists and take it to scale. That will give jobs back to people. It will help pharmacists do their jo job better with much more satisfaction. And the public will have confidence in their medicines as well physicians. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, Rosemary, and I know that a lot of our members are going to as well, and we'll have an opportunity to chat with you more about this topic at our 50th annual meeting on November 9th in Grapevine, Texas. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us, Rosemary. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Visit ASCP.com slash annual to learn more about Rosemary's talk and to register for the meeting. You can also visit ASCP.com slash senior RX radio to listen to this podcast and all of ASCP's podcast episodes. Thanks for listening to Senior RX Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you enjoy the leading podcast network dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know which channel is your favorite. And remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare.